Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, October 11th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today is Google aiming to take back the smartphone camera crown with next week's Pixel event. That Twitch leak reinforces the idea that on platform ecosystems, there very much is a 1%. The Chinese Tesla competitors that are hitting milestones faster than Tesla ever did. When and should Disney give ESPN streaming religion? And would you buy Squid Game merch? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. I don't know if I mentioned this, but the Google Pixel Fall launch event is scheduled for October 19th, a week from tomorrow. Ahead of that, some alleged Google marketing materials have leaked, suggesting that Google is going to go all out on the cameras in the new expected Pixel lineup. Quoting 9to5Google, The page explicitly confirms the Pixel includes a 5-megapixel primary sensor on both phones, the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro, with Google saying this new sensor can capture 150% more light compared to what was in the Pixel 5. A further image also shows the physical difference in size between the two sensors. As with anything in the camera world, a bigger sensor leads to better shots, both in terms of light capture and in natural bokeh, or blur. The page goes on to confirm the Pixel 6 Pro will have a 12-megapixel ultra-wide camera and a 48-megapixel 4X telephoto camera as well. The differences between the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro are also once again put on display. As previously announced, the Pixel 6 will lack the 4X telephoto camera found on the Pro, but these listings also point to the Pixel 6 having an inferior selfie camera. A 94-degree field-of-view selfie camera is also mentioned on the Pro's listing, but not for the base model. Notably, though, it seems raw quality is required to get the full field of view. Beyond the physical hardware, this page also goes over some key Pixel 6 camera features, most notably including Magic Eraser. Quote, Magic Eraser, which leaked last month without any clear details, will apparently be powered by Google Photos and will have the ability to remove stranger and unwanted objects. In a footnote, though, Google mentions that the feature may not work on all image elements. Similar footnotes can be found on mentions of the de-blur feature. Google also calls out better handling of skin tones. Quote, Magic Eraser makes distractions disappear with a few taps, removes strangers and unwanted objects in Google Photos so the people and places that you capture remain the true stars. End quote. There are further mentions of portrait mode, the previously confirmed face de-blur, and also motion mode, which appears to add extra depth to a shot by leaving some sense of motion in the shot. In the example given, Google uses a Ferris wheel spinning behind two subjects who are still. Google also directly mentions improved portrait shots that more accurately handle skin tones, end quote. These numbers should come as no surprise to anyone who's familiar with the economics of platforms, but an analysis of that leaked data from those 4.9 million Twitch accounts shows that the top 1% of Twitch streamers made over half of the money paid out by Twitch to creators in 2021. The vast majority, about three-fourths of Twitch streamers, made under $120 on the platform, quoting the Wall Street Journal. 
The streaming platform best known for its video game streamers has paid out $889 million so far this year through September, up from $517 million over the same period in 2020. Twitch streamers typically earn money on the platform from paid subscriptions to their channels and through advertising, though only after reaching certain viewer metrics. People who called themselves Twitch streamers posted on social media that many of the leaked payout figures were consistent with what they earned on the platform. The journal cross-referenced pay stubs from one streamer against the same records in the leaked data and found most months' payout totals matched within 25 cents. The Wall Street Journal hasn't been able to independently verify the leaked data. The journal analysis shows the best-paid streamer on Twitch made more than $5 million this year. Last year's highest-earning account, a group of Dungeons & Dragons players, made close to $4 million in 2021. These figures don't include other possible income sources, such as corporate sponsors, tipping services, and video game publishers. The earnings data in the leak go back to July 2019 and reveal the rapid growth of Twitch's business during the pandemic. In just under two years, the amount paid out to streamers has almost tripled to around $100 million a month. These riches aren't evenly distributed, though. Half of all streamers who earn payouts have made less than $28 so far this year, a far cry from the top earners' millions. However, Twitch only offers payouts once a streamer has accrued revenue balances reaching $100. Exceedingly few are getting rich from streaming. Only 0.06% received over the U.S. median household income of $67,521. A quarter of all revenue was earned by the top 1,000 accounts, end quote. If you haven't already guessed, today is a slow news day here in the U.S. because of the quasi-bank holiday. Banks are closed, but the stock market is open. Schools are closed here in the Northeast, but not in a lot of parts of the country, etc., That means that today will allow us to dive into a few things that I've been sitting on that we might not otherwise be able to talk about on busier news days. Like, for example, over the weekend, I was learning a lot about China's homegrown Tesla competitors, companies like Xpeng and NIO, which recently announced they had reached the 100,000 vehicle production milestone, something that it took Tesla 12 years to do even though Xpeng is about six years old and Neo is only four years old. Now, of course, Tesla was the pioneer in all of this, so they struggled and bled so that others like these could follow. But still, quoting Forbes, BYD, the Shenzhen-headquartered vehicle and battery maker backed by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, said on Sunday sales of new energy vehicles more than tripled in September to 71,099 compared with 19,881 a year earlier. For the first nine months of the year, it sold 337,579 new energy vehicles, an increase of 204.3% from a year earlier. Alibaba-backed Xpeng, meanwhile, said shipments rose nearly 200% to 10,412 units. For the first nine months, they gained 301% to 56,404. Increasingly popular new energy vehicles accounted for approximately one-fifth of sales of 1.8 million motor vehicles in China in August, claiming even as overall vehicle shipments fell nearly 18% that month. BYD's business is more diversified than its rivals. It also makes handset components and photovitalics. Among its customers are Dell, Apple, Xiaomi, and Huawei, end quote. And quoting CNBC, 
Huchacha found investors poured more than 82 billion yuan, or $12.7 billion, into 50 electric car-related projects in the first half of this year in China. BYD ranked first by amount raised, the report showed, but the other top five companies contain names with ties to highly indebted property developers like Evergrande, an electric car company Faraday Future that has battled with bankruptcy. In the last year, technology companies like Huawei, Baidu, and Xiaomi have jumped into the electric car race with business partners and investments. Neo shares surged more than a thousand percent in 2020 after a capital injection of 7 billion yuan or $1 billion by a state-led group of investors. Xpeng, announced it received 500 million yuan in funding from the investment arm of Guangdong province, where the startup is based. And NEO's U.S.-based listed shares are down 22% so far this year, while Xpeng's New York listed shares are 10% lower in the same period, end quote. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air-knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer, their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? That's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So, get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Emerson Electric announced plans to merge two industrial software businesses from its automation unit with Aspen Technology in a roughly $11 billion deal. Now, Emerson Electric is a company I never expected to talk about on the show, but I actually know it very well. About 20 years ago, as the dot-com bust did a real number on my early retirement account, 
I shifted a sizable portion of my passive investments to a strategy called dividend growth investing. The idea is you invest in stocks that pay reliable, but crucially, reliably increasing dividends. So companies like 3M or Procter & Gamble, or even things like McCormick & Company, who makes spices, or Hormel Foods, maker of Spam, most famously. The idea is you collect the raising dividends every year as a built-in compounding effect, and if you reinvest the dividends automatically every quarter, you get the actual compounding the old-fashioned way, and on top of all that, you get any price appreciation along the way as well. This is, of course, not investing advice. This is just me telling you anecdotally why I have been an investor in Emerson Electric for 20 years or so. They're one of these dividend aristocrats, providing industrial machine tooling and engineering. They're a 120-year-old conglomerate doing everything from residential and commercial air conditioning to manufacturing engineering. Anyway, cue my surprise to actually be talking about them this morning, but maybe I shouldn't be because, quoting the Wall Street Journal, Bedford, Massachusetts-based Aspen Tech makes software for companies and industries including chemicals, mining, and energy streamline engineering and maintenance processes. It had roughly $700 million of revenue for its fiscal year, ended in June. And Emerson, a larger industrial conglomerate, is based in St. Louis. It makes products ranging from rigid pipe wrenches to software for power plants and has a market value of around $58 billion following a sharp rise in the stock since earlier this year. The deal involves two small businesses from Emerson's automation unit, which makes software and systems for manufacturers, oil producers, and utilities, and accounted for about two-thirds of the company's revenue last year. The businesses are OSI Incorporated, which Emerson purchased last year for $1.6 billion, and Geological Simulation Software. They account for roughly $300 million of the automation segment's roughly $12 billion in annual revenue. The combined company's offerings would be used by clients to do everything from designing industrial systems to running, repairing, and analyzing them. Companies ranging from oil drillers to life sciences startups are pouring billions of dollars into software to increase efficiency, providing Emerson and other established industrial concerns new avenues for growth, end quote. And that's the point that I wanted to make. That's why I picked this story for today. Not that you need me to make this point or to reinforce it, but when we talk about software eating the world and every industry becoming a tech industry now, this is what we're talking about. Even boring old industries, boring old dividend stocks, technology is coming for you too over the next couple of decades. When I talk about ironing out efficiencies, this is what we're talking about too, and that will either leave some players in the dust or it will completely transform them. I've said before, when I was living in Detroit 15 years ago, when I would say to my friends in the auto industry, you folks are going to have to completely transform yourself tech-wise, I got laughed at. But look at what happened to the auto industry over the last 15 years. Look at how it is now arguably one of the hottest areas of tech anywhere. There was also a super interesting article I read over the weekend that addressed something I've long wondered about. What does Disney do about ESPN? It's almost the classic innovator's dilemma case study. Despite going all in on streaming with Disney+, Plus, Disney probably has to keep ESPN tied to traditional cable bundles for a while because that business model remains its biggest revenue driver. Quoting CNBC, 
Disney makes more money from cable subscribers than any other company, and that's solely because of ESPN. ESPN and sister network ESPN2 charge nearly $10 per month combined, according to research firm Kagan, a unit of S&P Global Market Intelligence. That's at least four times more than almost every other national broadcast or cable network, according to Kagan. Disney requires pay TV providers to include ESPN as a part of their most popular cable packages. It's a no-brainer for TV providers who wouldn't dare drop ESPN. Meanwhile, the non-sports world is cutting the cord. More than 6 million people ditched pay TV in 2020, according to research firm eMarketer, the highest annual total ever. About 25 million Americans have dropped linear TV bundles in the past decade. That creates a struggle within Disney that's poised to escalate. Disney wants people to sign up for its streaming entertainment products, Disney Plus and Hulu. Wall Street wants this too. Streaming video is a growth business, and traditional pay TV is a declining one. It's also a wise financial swap for Disney. While Disney makes more than $10 a month per subscriber for sports, it makes far less for entertainment networks such as Disney Channel and FX, which draw lower audiences and don't command high advertising rates. If Disney can get a cord cutter to pay $8 per month for Disney Plus, and $6 per month for Hulu, it's a huge win for the company. The reverse is true for ESPN. Swapping an ESPN subscriber for an ESPN Plus customer who contributes average revenue of less than $5 per month is a significant loss for Disney. ESPN Plus is a streaming service with limited content thusly. ESPN's strategy is to cling to the cable bundle for as long as possible, knowing it can draw potentially billions of dollars from U.S. households that are each paying $120 a year for the network, even if they never watch it. Some analysts have begun to question whether Disney should spin off ESPN, allowing CEO Bob Chapek to focus more clearly on streaming. An ex-Disney executive who recently left the company and asked not to be named said there's, quote, strategic misalignment between the parent company and ESPN, and the businesses no longer belong together because Wall Street doesn't look kindly on declining assets. The executive said having ties to the legacy muddle will weigh down the company's stock multiple. At $10 per month or $120 per year multiplied by about 75 million U.S. homes, Disney earns roughly $9 billion annually in domestic carriage fees from ESPN and its associated networks. Advertising that comes with broadcasting sports brings in billions of additional dollars. ESPN's role as cash machine works nicely for the time being, but if 25 million U.S. households ditch cable in the next four or five years, as some predict, the math will no longer add up said Lightshed media analyst Rich Greenfield. If we're going to 40 to 50 million, the question is, is there any economic model that justifies the level of spending that we're currently at, said Greenfield. ESPN has to figure out how to make up $3 billion in annual lost pay TV subscription revenue that's coming in the next few years as cord cutting continues, a decline that Disney executives are anticipating, according to people familiar with the matter. Disney's plan is to incrementally raise the price of ESPN Plus as it adds more valuable content while maintaining contractual obligations for exclusive programming to pay TV distributors, the people said. An early example is Eli and Peyton Manning's alternative broadcast of Monday Night Football, which will air 10 times this season on ESPN2 with some appearances available on ESPN+. Should the number of pay TV bundle subscribers drop to a level well under 50 million U.S. households, Disney would likely take ESPN to consumers in a more complete streaming package, said two people with knowledge of the company's plans. At that point, the economics would flip, as most of the people paying for linear TV would be sports fans. Disney could likely make more from a full-service sports streaming service than it would make in a wholesale pay TV distribution model. In the near term, selling ESPN separate 
from the linear bundle isn't feasible. Disney has negotiated digital rights flexibility in almost every major rights renewal in the past few years, but the company is currently restricted by its linear pay TV obligations, which require certain premium programming to stay exclusive to the cable bundle, according to people familiar with the matter, end quote. And finally, if only somewhat relatedly, Netflix and Walmart are partnering to launch a digital storefront on walmart.com called Netflix Hub to sell merch tied to shows like Stranger Things and even Squid Game, quoting the Wall Street Journal. Netflix consumer products from t-shirts to stickers to dolls are already available online from several retailers. The deal with Walmart creates a dedicated area of walmart.com for Netflix merchandise, the Netflix Hub, the first such online storefront that Netflix has created with a national retailer. Netflix also has its own online store, netflix.shop. Quote, we want to continue to meet fans wherever they are whether that's through our biggest online marketplace at Walmart or the more boutique and curated Netflix.shop, said Josh Simon, Netflix's vice president of consumer products. Mr. Simon said, revenue won't be the only measuring stick of success for the venture. Quote, the real value is in reinforcing fan love for the shows and films they see on Netflix, he said. Netflix-themed merchandise includes Squid Game t-shirts, Nailed It baking kits, and Stranger Things Bluetooth cassette players. The company doesn't disclose the size of its emerging e-commerce business, end quote. It's like Apple going into services, or anybody once your hardware or services platform play reaches saturation point. What you do is you look to tertiary but complementary markets for easy growth. Thus, Apple wants to get into movies and video games, and Netflix wants to get into video games and merch. Forget the problem of having a dozen different subscriptions for all the things you consume every month. Now imagine a dozen different ecosystems all competing for your subscriptions and your brand loyalty every month. By the way, Squid Game Halloween costumes... I'm already seeing them pop up all over social media, at least this weekend I did, especially because it seems like it's such an easy costume to do. Just get yourself a green jumper, plaster a number on the front, and boom, you're a player. It's the easiest sort of costume like this I've seen in several years, the sort of costume that would immediately get a, aha, I know who you are at a Halloween party. A bit harder would be to get one of the red guard setups with those circle, square, or triangle masks, but that's still doable, I would think. So anyway, if you can risk doing the costume that probably everybody's already thinking of doing, there you go. Talk to you tomorrow.